0: This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 85, The Tax Sale of a Lifetime. Traditional financial planning is no longer working, and in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious. Be stable. Be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everybody, to another episode. Uh, you're uh, in the right place. My name is Mark Willis, one of your co-hosts, and here in the studio with me today is Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly.
1: Thank you, Mark. Hello, everyone.
0: Okay, so we are uh, into knee-deep into our taxes conversation. And last episode, we laid out about 12,000 reasons <laughs> why we think taxes are probably going up in the future. So, I mean, does that mean we have a crystal ball? No, uh, ours hasn't shown up in the mail yet. Uh, so uh, could we be wrong? Yes, of course. Of course we could be wrong. Uh, but do you want to stake your entire financial future on the hope that taxes will be lower in the future? I mean, how, I mean. however, if we're right and taxes are going up in the future and you have a lot of that money that you've stashed away uh, in something that will be taxed In the future, when would it make most sense to pay your taxes, now or in the future? You know, I believe that it's best paid right now when taxes are at their lowest point, right? Or would it be better to be uh, paying your taxes later after taxes have possibly gone up? I mean, the key question is what do you think about where taxes are headed in the future? Are they gonna be lower or higher in the future? And maybe most importantly, do you wanna pay those taxes when it comes due? So if you've never done the math on this, let's take a moment to look at it together. Even if taxes are up just 1% higher in the future than they are today, the math works out to actually pay your taxes right now, right? When taxes are 1% lower and then you have 1% more of your money tax-free in retirement in the future. So even if taxes are just 1% higher than they are today, it's always better to pay your taxes now than when uh, they're 1% higher in the future. So if you're gonna, yep.
1: Oh, I was just gonna say because when you actually run the numbers when it comes to um, the comparison of putting your money into a you know non-taxable in the future um, account and a tax-deferred account, then the only thing that can make those numbers work out yeah. for either way to be favorable is what tax it What happens with taxes? Otherwise, it's a wash. It it's makes wash. no difference mm-hmm. if taxes is the exact same today and exact same in thirty years. Yeah. Then there's no change um, as far, or you don't win out in either of those scenarios. It's it's the yeah. exact same. Whereas um, you know taxes, the tax rates changing are the only thing that can affect um, whether you win or lose in kind of which strategy you go with. So yeah, even just a 1% difference is going to be yeah. all the swing you need.
0: I mean, if you knew every year that the sofa store, the furniture store down the street, always in July had a sale on sofas, would you buy all of your furniture in June or May? Or would you wait till July, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same concept. So if you're going to be saving up not for a sofa, but let's say hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars for your retirement, is still a stinking ton of money to overpay on your taxes over your lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. And in fact, Holly, you were just bringing this up, according to the Society of Actuaries. Now, the Society of Actuaries, these are the folks that got beat up by the nerds in high school, okay? So these are the true, like, pure elemental nerds, right? Uh, They're saying that if tax rates stay the same, it doesn't matter, it, does ma- it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't make any difference whether the taxes um, are taken away at the beginning, meaning when you put the money into a savings of vehicle, or at the end, which is called tax deferred, the same fraction of money is, that is then left to you in retirement. Most people don't have much saved for retirement, we get that. And what little most people have saved for retirement will be taxed in retirement. So that means if you have one of these uh, typical retirement plans in your portfolio, things like 401ks, IRAs, 403bs, 457g plans, SEPs, employee stock options, all of those are called tax deferred plans, and they all are going to be taxed in the future. They're all waiting to be taxed. The government has a claim on some of that money in those accounts. They just haven't decided, the government, that is, hasn't decided how much they want to take out yet They'll actually make that decision, and when they vote on your taxes in retirement,
1: <laughs> which is kind of a scary thought if you think about that. Um, they haven't decided how you know what that tax rate's going to be yeah. for you <laughs> yeah. yet. I mean, that's that's scary. Um, but I mean, just kind of in continuation of this point, according to Boston College's Center for um, Retirement Director Alish. Uh, Alicia Munal. It's a very big deal when people realize they only have two-thirds to three-quarters of what they thought they had in their 401k. So, I mean, what's happening is people are looking at their retirement accounts and, you know, they're looking at their 401k. They're saying, dang, you know, I have, um, you know, half a million dollars. I have $500,000 for my retirement. That's great. I'm doing pretty well. Um, You know, hopefully by the time I retire, I'll have, you know, a million dollars or whatever. But they're not actually doing the math at the fact that only you know, two thirds to three fourths of that is actually theirs. They think mm-hmm. they have five hundred thousand dollars of their, uh, you know, of, of all of that. You know, they right. have that whole thing, and that's what they're kind of basing these, um, you know, potential income amounts that they can take based on. You know, so they're saying five hundred thousand. Yeah. Okay, break that down. This is how much I could take each year. That's pretty nice. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have to pay your taxes on that. So it, that that's a that's a big deal.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I'll ingest when I'm co- sort of feeling extra corny, I guess. I'll sit there with a client and they'll show me their 401k statement that says half a million bucks or whatever it says. And I'll say, oh, that's great. That's awesome. Can I see your after-tax statement now? Mm-hmm. And they look at me sort of funny, like, what do you mean after-tax? Oh, Two thirds of this is yours. Maybe a third uh, is, or maybe more of it is going to go to Uncle Sam. Yeah, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine um, our listeners, if you'll imagine um, taking a loan from a bank, let's say, or a credit card company, and let's say that while you're filling out the paperwork for this loan, the bank mentions uh, that they'll, they'll, you know what? We'll just let you know how much interest we're going to charge you uh, when you decide, uh, when we decide to collect on this debt. Uh, I mean, that would not be a loan I'd be really interested in taking, right? It's also made clear, by the way, from your understanding of the bank, that they're in debt up to their eyeballs, <laughs> and they need to find profits like super fast. Without knowing what your loan interest rate would be with this bank, would you take that loan? I wouldn't, right? Isn't that exactly how tax-deferred plans like IRAs and 401ks and, and, and so forth work, right? Mm-hmm. So, Holly, you know, why do we as Americans have all of our money wrapped up in these tax-deferred plans,
1: I mean, I, I think there's a couple different reasons. Um, first and foremost, I feel like it's just the most common and and well-known option out there, or you know these options are, they're just so mainstream. You know, it's like you um, you know walk down the street and you ask someone, you know, where are you putting your money? Where are you saving your money? I mean, <laughs> we can pretty much guess what they're going to say. They're going to say some kind of tax-deferred plan, whether that's a 401k, an IRA. Um, and so it just becomes kind of this self-perpetuating cycle. Mm-hmm. I think in in yep. some regard where you know it's like the more Popular the you know tax deferred plans become the more people that um, you know then move forward and get mm-hmm. those plans themselves which then res- you know makes it seem even more popular and mainstream and then you know th- everyone's just kind of following this trend and around and around it goes um, so I think that you know that certainly plays a factor into it um, and then also on top of that I mean most people if you work for a you know larger company and they provide a 401k you're going to get automatically enrolled in that 401k most mm-hmm. likely. Um, um, without you even having to like necessarily agree to it or um, mm-hmm. ask them to do it or even think about it, they're just going to automatically enroll you in it. So you may have a four hundred and one k without even knowing it. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, which is going to make it again even more common. Um, Another, another maybe like lesser thought about reason I think is is potentially um, the influence of CPAs and the CPAs that people work with to get their taxes put together um, every year because most CPAs do recommend some sort of tax deferred retirement plan. Um, You know why is that? Well, CPAs aren't really motivated uh, financially, quite frankly, to show you a lifetime tax reduction strategy. I mean, think about it. You go to your CPA to get your taxes done when? You know, once a year right. for last year, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um and so you don't necessarily go to them and say, "Hey, you know, here's my lifetime how can I best do my taxes you know, over my lifetime? You say, hey, save me money. Yeah. You know, save me money last year, I want a refund. Earn, or, your, f-
0: earn your fees, CPA. Yeah. Exactly,
1: right. exactly. So you know, CPAs understand that in order to retain your business, they need to show you uh you know, they need to show you all the best deductions for taxes in your you know current year. So their whole job and the best way for them to try and keep you happy is to show you, you know, the biggest tax savings possible. In a single year. Right. And tax avert plans are actually just really helpful for that. You know, for example, if you make two hundred thousand dollars in income, you can stash away fifty-five thousand dollars of that into some sort of tax-deferred plan. And this year, uh, that means they would have brought down that you know taxable income from two hundred thousand to one hundred and forty-five thousand, which is going to put you in a lower tax bracket. So that's going to feel great. You know, they just saved you money. You decided that they did a great job for you, and you you know keep hiring them year after year, and you know they make a good living, and everyone happy, right? You know, you're know, you saving money, yeah. they're making money, it's perfect. Um, and so I think, again, that can kind of perpetuate this cycle of people doing tax deferred plans because we're too focused on trying to hide our income today mm-hmm. and not worrying about you know trying to hide our income later on down the road. Um, but really, we do need to be thinking long range with our taxes uh, because they're not going to go away. Taxes aren't going to go away. Um, and so we need to be thinking about the fact that did we actually just eliminate taxes when we do that, when we, you know, just put them into these tax deferred counts? Did we really eliminate it or did we just postpone it? Mm, And, you know, how does that feel when we think about it that way?
0: Mm, Yeah. so, you know, it might be helpful just to change the name of these tax deferred plans to something we'll call tax postponed plans. You know, I like the way uh, changing the word actually reflects its true meaning. Tax deferred, well, that sounds great. Who doesn't want to put off or defer taxes, right? Tax deferred sounds really nice. Like somehow I beat the government at their own game, right? However, tax postponed has a slightly less favorable ring to it. Somehow, I, you know, I don't, um, I don't want to put off something that's bad, right? It's like putting off a root canal. It just makes the problem that much worse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, virtually all re- well-respected economists predict that taxes are going to go up in the future. Uh, And even still, some persons that are listening might rightly ask, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about all the recent tax reform that just went through our government in 2017-18? We all got lowered taxes. We got a great tax cut. Does that mean we're never going to see taxes rise, right? I mean, the evidence is clear. We just got a tax cut. We lowered taxes. That's great. But, you know, if you dig a little deeper under the surface, you realize that that tax cut we just got raised our national deficit by $10 trillion. $10 trillion. That's so big, you could not count those numbers even in your lifetime, even in your grandchild's lifetime. And that's just over the next 10 years. We're going to have a $10 trillion larger deficit because of these tax cuts. So in in essence, we ate the dessert before we ate the spinach. So should we preemptively pay our taxes right now? or postpone our taxes for when taxes might be higher, even way higher in the future. Uh, we used to think that taxes would someday go up. You know, most most uh, financial planners, most economists would say, yeah, you know, someday in some distant future, we would all see taxes go up. Now, uh, dear listener, we know for sure the year and the day when you will have a tax increase, and that is January mm-hmm. 1st, 2026, mm-hmm. right? That's the, the end of our tax cut as uh, individuals anyway. So most of the media looked at how Joe Mainstream would save on his taxes, what his refund would be, again, this year. But uh, you and I should all be thinking about these next six years, these special, very important next six years of our lives as the tax sale of a lifetime. So we contend that you shouldn't let a year go by in these special six years where you are not maxing out your tax bracket what does that mean, right? Uh, that's That sounds a little weird, so let's talk about it in terms of numbers. So maxing out your tax bracket might mean converting some of your tax-deferred buckets, okay, so your 401Ks, your IRAs, of money uh, into Roth-style accounts or even non-qualified vehicles like uh, life insurance, for example, and this is what we mean when we say maximizing the tax bracket. So this means you'd fill up your bracket with uh, the money you're making with income and then maxing up that bracket, maxing it out with distributions from taxable accounts. Here's a for instance, if you're in the, let's say the 22% tax bracket, if you're married, filed jointly, and let's say you're making a total household income of $90,000 a year of taxable income, then you can max out your tax bracket by converting your tax deferred IRA or 401k into a new Roth IRA or even a bank on yourself type whole life policy. So the 22% bracket maxes out at $168,400. So if you're currently earning an income of $90,000, that means you can convert the difference there. The wiggle room, you might say, the headroom in your bucket, where about $78,000 can come out of your traditional IRA this year and over into a tax-free Roth IRA.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, really, again, like this is the tax sale of a lifetime. I mean, we potentially. I mean, we don't know what the future holds. I know Mark has his order in for his crystal ball, but he still has not yeah. gotten it yet. He's he's had that on yeah. order for a long time. I
0: got a call out to Jeff Bezos for the Amazon delay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's in Perfect. UPS purgatory. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, you know, but I mean, this very well could be the lowest tax brackets we experience, you know, in, in the rest of our lifetime. And so why would we not be I mean paying as, as as much taxes today as we can and then taking our tax breaks mm-hmm. once the tax rate yep. or once the tax rates are higher. So we'll look back on these years as a huge deal on our, you know, lifetime's worth of taxes. So every year for the next 6 years that you don't take advantage of this is potentially a major tax mistake. So get all of your, you know, heavy lifting on paying your taxes done before January of 2026. Now, does that mean and don't, you know, keep making your deductions and don't right. keep, um, you know, maximizing things like, no, absolutely not. Still try and keep your tax as low as possible through the normal means of, of deducting appropriate expenses and, you know, whatever your system for that is. Just don't necessarily be trying to hide income through these tax deferred accounts because, um, you know, in the end, you, you may not end up winning out. On it.
0: It's true. Well, so uh, keep in mind, we are not tax accountants and we're not certainly giving any specific tax advice on this podcast. Like we say on every episode, you know, we're not giving specific tax advice. We don't play accountants uh, on TV or even on podcasts. So, you mm-hmm. know, uh, talk with a professional about this. However, there are some interesting strategies you should bring to your tax expert. And if they aren't bringing this to you, why not? Why not? So keep in mind that taking money from a qualified plan, so like a 401k, to a non-qualified plan will mean paying your taxes, getting it out of the government's hands, in essence. And also, it might mean a 10% early withdrawal penalty if you're younger than 59 and a half. Okay. So, um, Holly, let's just, uh, let's just walk through this with me, would you? All right. So are you 59 and a half or younger?
1: Um, I'm younger. Okay, think. good. <laughs>
0: I knew the answer to that one. All right. <laughs> so let's say that you want to take money out of your IRA, Holly, and you've decided to put it into a whole life policy. Okay. So you don't want to pay your taxes, but you also realize that taxes might go up in the future. You also realize that you don't uh, that you're going to be experiencing an early withdrawal penalty of ten percent to get the money out of that IRA. So who wants that, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So now keep in mind that the taxes were going to be paid regardless, whether you were, you know, 30 or 59.5 or any age in between those two. Right? Either now or in the future, the taxes, 69.5, 79.5, the taxes were going to get paid on that IRA at some point. And let's say that you would agree with me that most economists, uh, and and with most economists, that taxes will be going higher in the future. So Holly, you decided that you wanted to take your lumps today, pay your taxes on that money, and put that money into something that would be accessible to you in the future tax-free. Does that mm-hmm. sound fair so far?
1: Yeah, sounds good.
0: Okay, so since we're paying our taxes regardless, we only have to consider whether or not it's worth getting your money out of that IRA now and subjecting yourself to that early 10% withdrawal penalty. So you could avoid that 10% penalty, and to do so would mean waiting for you know decades possibly and uh, years and years and years to turn 59 and a half years old, then finally you could get that money out without a tax, uh, without an early withdrawal penalty. Mm-hmm. So here's a question. Do you believe that taxes would be higher than 10% uh, higher in the future? So for example, let's say you're in a 22% bracket today. Do you believe that your tax rate might be as high or higher than just 10% higher than 22%? So that would be like 24%, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, decades from now. So, you know, uh, Certainly, no one knows the future. We do know for a fact that this will happen six years from now, according to the law, that 22% will grow back up to 24.2% in the future, right? Does that make sense so far?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. okay. So uh, I'm looking at a 10% loss anyways.
0: Yeah. pretty yeah. Much. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So you've got a six-year window where you can avoid the tax rate hike, but there's a 10% penalty since you're younger than 59 and a half. Okay. okay. So for me, I do think that taxes will be 10% higher in the future. Uh, at least that seems to be our, our tax code's deadline. But maybe for our listeners, they might think that as well or think otherwise. But let's presume that you think that taxes would be just the same, the exact same in your future in retirement. What about where your IRA is invested right now? You know, Let's say that, that IRA is invested in stocks, you know, mutual funds, ETFs, that sort of thing. Uh, Holly, do you think there might be a 10% correction in the stock market over the next 10, 20, 30 years.
1: That could definitely happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: I mean, shoot, it dropped 20% earlier this year, mm-hmm. all on its own, right? On average, it drops 10% at least once a year, every single year, if you look back over the last 100 years. So even though the stock market has come back since the dip earlier this year, this January and last fall, uh, recall that it takes you know more to climb back out, out of a dip you know, than it does to fall into the hole. In other words, the, the bad experiences of the stock market hurt more than the rebounds help in terms of rate of return. So even a temporary drop of just 10% in the stock market is totally unacceptable, since it means your money is vaporized. It's no longer earning anything for you. It's no longer working for you. Uh, it's been taken away from the stock market. Okay, so here comes the so what question. Here comes the big question. Isn't the 10% stock market drop the same thing as a 10% early withdrawal penalty? I mean, does it matter who has your money, who you're giving that money away to, whether it's a 10% early withdrawal penalty to the government or a 10% drop to Wall Street?
1: No, not really. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I mean, it, it, it really what we care about at the end of the day is the dollars being in our pocket. Mm, um, right. So, I mean, we're I'm still losing the money one way or the other. So, I mean... I guess most people avoid the 10% penalty because it you know sounds so bad and it seems very self-inflicted. Mm. Um you're choosing whereas at least you know the market there's the chance it may not, you know, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um versus I am choosing to you see my account value drop by ten percent. That's that's a hard pill to swallow for sure. Um, you know, who wants to be penalized? Sounds like you're, you know, in a timeout or somehow being punished and um but really it's not a punishment to get your money, you know, into a smarter tax vehicle. Yeah. Might just be the best move for you. That's um, true. But I do find it fascinating how um you know we avoid things like the 10% penalty, you know, like the plague, you know, because we just don't like how it sounds. And again, it's, you know, self inflicted perhaps, um, but yet we're willing to watch Wall Street lose 10% all the time, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, and we're, and we're just like okay with it if Wall Street does it, but we can't do it to ourselves, you know, or something. I don't know. It's, it's true. It's interesting.
0: You're, you're, you know, you're so right. There's something about human behavior there that just avoids the word penalty. And I think there's a, probably an important reason why Wall Street chose the word and, and, Wall, and the government chose the word penalty, right? As opposed to another tax, which is all it is. It's just another tax, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and at least there, you know what your penalty is, whereas we don't know what the penalty of staying in the market might be. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah, let's say that you were driving downtown. Let's say that you were heading downtown for the most important business meeting of your life. And you were heading to this meeting where you you were going to close a deal that would land you personally $1 million. Okay. So you are pumped, you are excited, but you get downtown and you cannot find parking anywhere. There's a parade or something going on downtown and you can't find a single spot to park your car to get upstairs to that very important meeting. And you're about to miss this meeting. Okay. So would you park in a tow zone or an illegal parking spot? There's that word, illegal. That's another bad word, right? (laughs) Would you park in a uh, tow zone uh, to risk maybe a ticket, let's call that a penalty, okay, in order to get to that meeting and close that deal and get the million bucks. I mean, if no one got hurt, I mean, we're not talking about speeding tickets or anything here. Doesn't it make sense to pay something to get a lot more in the future? I mean, for me, I'd view my parking ticket as the best investment I would ever make, getting an awesome rate of return, right? Like $300 parking ticket slash million dollars. That's a great mm-hmm, return mm-hmm. on investment in, in like two hours, right? What a great return. Okay. So unfortunately, many Americans are betting that they'll be in a lower tax environment in retirement, whether they realize it or not. I mean, again, as they're putting money into these tax-postponed retirement plans like 401ks, they're whistling right past the tax sale and heading straight for the tax graveyard when taxes could be a lot higher than they are today. So for the rest of this episode and into the next episode, we're going to be talking about three specific tax steps you can take to avoid this problem. One, We're gonna talk about some steps on how you can lower your taxes today. Two, we're gonna build wealth and leave it for the future generations, not the IRS. And in the following two episodes, we're gonna be revealing how you can actually build wealth on the remaining tax payment you have to make every year. Imagine that, right? Imagine that when you get your tax bill for 50,000 or $100,000 or even $500,000 next year, which is common for many of our listeners and many business owners, you're going to smile knowing that it's just that much more that's going to be growing toward your financial future rather than the IRS. So definitely stay tuned for these next two episodes. But for now, let's wrap this episode up with some, I think, some awesome strategies on lowering that tax bill, not just this year, but over a lifetime.
1: Yep. So step one here um, are just simple strategies for lowering your lowering your taxes over a lifetime, not just this year. So um, you know, let's first speak to the business owner. The first thing we're going to talk kind of talk about here for lowering taxes is deductions, um, and then we'll kind of talk about we'll talk about business deductions, and then we'll talk about deductions that just anyone can take as well. So if you own a business, uh, the first and most simple thing you can do to lower your taxes is to write off as many expenses as possible as deductions. Okay, And so one of the easiest things you can do is to pay for your vehicles and cars through your business along with any other major expense. So section 179 of the tax code allows you to buy a car and even get a bigger deduction if it's heavy enough believe it or not. So that's why you see so many business owners buying big, heavy SUVs. Uh, actually, according to this section of the tax code, anything over 6,000 pounds, so heavy car, uh, will let you deduct the expense of that car up to $25,000. Not bad. So that's not not bad at all. And then you can also finance it through your business. So when you purchase your next business vehicle, ask your accountant if you know the particular car you're interested in would qualify for this deduction um, or just throw some sandbags in the trunk. We're not, know, we're not sure that if so. that
0: is legal or, or would work, but <laughs> why not try it?
1: Might as well. Um, another line item from this exact same uh, section of the tax code, section 179, is that you can take a million dollar deduction overall and a two and a half million dollar spending cap on equipment purchases. It's huge. So if you're in a business where um, you know you have to buy heavy equipment and machinery, To keep your business up and going, um, definitely make sure you're capitalizing on some of those deductions as well. Um, And then finally, you can also take 100% bonus depreciation on new or used purchases you make this year. So this means that you can buy a private jet if you want it and write off the entire cost of the jet as an expense this year, lowering this year's taxes. So make sure that you're keeping these things in mind if you're a business owner in particular.
0: And keep me in mind if you're buying that private jet. Okay, I'm <laughs> <too>. <laughs> So number two, uh, for a lot of entrepreneurs, at the uh, you have year-end meetings, usually with your shareholders or your employees, your board of directors. Usually it means renting out a super expensive conference room at an all-inclusive resort, you know, that sort of thing. Well, what if you could use those expenses but still uh, not pay the money for it? Right? What if you could still have those deductions for those big expenses, but uh, have a, a much smaller expense on your bottom line? So what if you could have those tax write-offs without losing the money for those expenses? You can do it by renting your own home to your business. You can do exactly that. So essentially you have your business meeting in your living room, but you can charge your business as if you were renting out the Ritz Carlton downtown. Okay? So you're allowed under the tax law to charge your business whatever comparable rental spaces might be of uh, in your area. Okay. So the best advice here is to call around, get actual quotes from other places, you know, the Ritz-Carlton, et cetera, and then charge the average of those prices for your home. And then definitely keep those quotes in a file somewhere so you can show the IRS if they need to see it.
1: Yep. Um, three here, another strategy is to favor tax advantaged retirement strategies. So don't necessarily just get lured into the tax-postponed financial vehicles like the 401ks or the IRAs. Try to look at tax-advantaged ones where you won't be paying taxes um, down the road. So, I mean, really, as far as these tax-deferred strategies, you should really only be looking at them if you have almost, you know, no savings and you're making, you know, net profit, hundreds of thousand dollars a year you know, in take-home pay. Um, Otherwise, look look for some of those tax-free instruments instead.
0: Good stuff. Okay. So especially, again, for the business owner, if you're incorporated as an S-corporation, the IRS gives you this sort of a um, a, a balance between how you pay yourself. And there's sort of two ways you can pay yourself each month or each year as a business owner. And there's a balance between uh, compensation and distributions of profit from your business. So distributions are taxed better or more favorably than wages and compensation, okay, because you're avoiding some of the payroll tax and so forth. So specifically you can avoid self-employment tax as an S corporation by taking a shareholder distribution and not uh, pay yourself as much in wages. But the IRS does want you to pay yourself some sort of reasonable compensation for wages alongside your, your nice distributions from the business profits. However, the IRS has never really given clear guidance on what the word reasonable compensation actually means. So we're kind of left to our own devices on designing this. However, you can look at the tax law and cases in court and so forth to see how the IRS has sort of guided uh, the taxpayer. So we believe, and our experience has shown, that you can safely pay yourself a lot less uh, in wages as your net income grows. So as your business becomes more profitable, the idea is that your growth of your business should be able to be more and more paid to you as a distribution since that's a sign of a profitable business. Your payroll as an employee of your business should go down as a percentage of your net income and you should be taking bigger and bigger distributions as your business grows. In uh, in our rule of thumb, uh, I would just say, you know, there's a proportional right blend here. And again, talk to your accountant about all of these things we're saying, but we do have some, um, Uh, uh, pictures and uh, designs and sort of a pay pay scale of sorts that we can give you if you'd like to reach out to us. We can talk to you about your specific case.
1: Yep. And so then how about um, tax savings opportunities for individuals? So Mm -hmm. a lot of that was just kind of pertaining to business owners and um, some good things that business owners can be doing to save themselves taxes. But what about, you know, everyone else? So if you don't own a business, you know, what really can you do to lower your tax bill? Well, unfortunately, W2 employees aren't really usually left with many you know tax benefits. Um, you can make you know certain limited decisions about your lifestyle, like having more children, <laughs> uh, donating more to charity, paying more interest on your mortgage. So you can itemize deductions, but I mean now with the new standard deduction just getting increased um, to twenty four thousand for a married couple, that becomes more difficult to reach, and fewer people are actually itemizing their dedu- deductions under the new tax code. Most people are just taking that you know twenty four thousand um, standard deduction. Also, unfortunately, your taxes are very likely to be higher in retirement, or at least certainly not lower. Uh, remember, when you're ready to retire, your mortgage interest is typically gone. Um, or it's going to be pretty low at that point as your mortgage is probably getting pretty close to being paid off principals the last to be paid off and interest has already been paid so mm-hmm. um, you know that's certainly a factor not going to have much left there typically your children are out of the house so they're no longer a deduction um, also your contribution to your retirement accounts are no longer happening so that deduction's gone and now um, now that you're retired you're typically not donating to charity as well you know you're not giving away money Um but now in retirement, you have more time and you're, you know, and maybe instead of giving to charities, you're volunteering to the charities, but that isn't a deduction. Your time's That's... not deductible. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a bunch of different factors that are kind of you know, all coming into play all at that same crucial moment. Um, so we like to think in terms of not lowering your taxes in just one tax year, but again, as we've been saying, over your entire lifetime and even beyond your lifetime. Uh, for example, we've already mentioned how stashing money in tax-postponed retirement accounts are not a good idea for the general public. But there is a perfect amount of money you could put into a tax-deferred four hundred and one k if you um, already have one set up, you know, with your employer. So here's kind of the secret, uh, secret recipe, you know, if you're really wanting to contribute to a four hundred and one k. Um, So you want your 401K's required minimum distributions, so this is the money that you're going to be uh, forced and required to take out as soon as you turn uh, 70 and a half. Um, So we want these required minimum distributions to be below your standard deduction. We also want it to be low enough where it doesn't tax your Social Security. So this will allow you to take the money out of your 401K without any taxes due actually. Um, And if that is the only income you report on your taxes, you know, in retirement, so that would have to be the case in order for you to not pay any taxes on that 401k. Um, If you're retiring after tax cuts expire in 2025, that means your RMD should be less than $6,000 a year if you're single and $13,000 a year if you're married. Um, If you have a pension, this pension income will likely take up your standard deduction and you don't want any money in a tax-deferred bucket like a 401k or IRA. Um, As nice as pensions are for income, a pension can become a kind of a tax torpedo of sorts in that it keeps shoving your retirement income into taxable brackets, making all your other income, taxable in mm-hmm. retirement, which is going to include your 401Ks, your social security, um, and a number of those, um, you know, whatever other income streams you kind of have. So be thinking about that. Be thinking about using these tools and these products that um, have come up strategically rather than just kind of using it willy-nilly as like, oh, everyone just tells me I should put money in there. Well, let's be, rather be thinking about ways that we can use actually use them to our advantage, um, right. not to the government.
0: You know, that's so good, uh, Holly. That's great advice. And again, there's so many levers you can pull and changes you can make that don't change your lifestyle. You're still eating out the same number of times by making all these changes. You know, you're just making smart decisions uh, with your dollars to make a big change over your lifetime with how much money do you want to give away to the IRS. One more thing, and then we'll wrap up this episode. I think this is so huge because so many people I meet, I'll ask them, hey, who, uh, you have an IRA. Great. That's fine who's your beneficiary? Okay, my spouse is. What about a contingent beneficiary, the people who are backups? You know, if, if your wife should pass away, who gets the remainder of that IRA? Okay, well, we've got two kids. Uh-oh. Well, there's a problem there. Uh, if you think about the math, again, if you've never done the math on this, take two seconds with me here and just walk through it. Let's say that you've got $200,000 in an IRA let's say that you are the surviving spouse, okay, and that you're going to leave your IRA to your two children when you pass away. That $200,000 would be paid to your kids as $100,000 each, but that $100,000 is taxable, okay? And let's say that each of them are in a 40% tax bracket, so that would be their federal tax, their Medicare tax, their state tax. Right there, that's 43% right there on the tax, okay? So, If they're in a 40% bracket, let's say that that means each child would receive not 100,000, which is the inherited amount, but 100,000 minus the 40% tax, which is just 60,000 bucks. So each of your two children would get $60,000 and the government would get $40,000 from one child and $40,000 from the other child. That's a total of $80,000. So let's put it all together. Who is the biggest beneficiary of your IRA? Not your two children, they got $60,000 each the biggest beneficiary was the IRS. Okay. I don't have anyone at the IRS I'm that fond of that <laughs> I want to leave the lion's share of my inheritance to them. Yeah. All right. So there are a ton of other strategies. We just don't have time to get into it today. We do want to make sure that the money that you've worked hard for is passed to the people you care about, not to the IRS. We want you to be informed as possible, not just this year's tax bill, but next year's and the next and the next and over your lifetime and over many generations of your uh, family. So at this uh, episode's airing, we're already almost halfway through this year, 2019, as we're recording this. Now is the time to start taking some action while the taxes that you've just paid in April are fresh on your mind. What will you change this year so that you never have to pay the IRS more than you have to ever again? That's our parting question with you. Any final thoughts there, Holly?
1: No, I think uh, we've left our listeners with some good food for thought. Hopefully they think think it over and see what all uh, they think could apply to them in their particular situation.
0: We left it all on the field today. So thank you, Holly. And thank you, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future.